Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. Uh, Today's guest on our podcast is someone that I have really been looking forward to speaking with. I was watching a video um, that was corresponding with some research that I've been doing for the last couple of weeks. I've been really kind of engrossed uh, focusing on the the organ transplant that's kind of been going on in China for a while. And I came across an EU parliament hearing where a former surgeon in China who has actually been uh, brought into the process of organ harvesting, he knows about it firsthand, and I'm looking forward to talking with him. Uh, Dr. Dr. Invertoti, you, you still there, brother? Hi. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Back to Jerusalem podcast. We are so honored to have you with us. Thank you very much. I am honored to, to be here. <laughs> you sound like yeah. a great, happy person. It's great to hear your voice. Um, I, I have been watching, I've been reading um, some, some papers on China's organ harvesting. Uh, I have lived in, in China for the last 20 years. I live there now. I just, I left during the coronavirus because I didn't want to get stuck there. But that's, yeah. that's my home. I've been there for 20 years. Uh, I've been working there. And I've spent quite a bit of time in the Xinjiang province as well. I guess that is the area where you're from? Yes, that's correct. Uh, which city are you from? I was born in the city of uh, Hami. Okay. Okay. We call it Komol, and I grew up in Urumqi. And you grew up in Urumqi. I've been to Urumqi many times. That's the kind of the yeah. main capital city of the of that area. And uh, I don't often stay there. I, I often go to the more western part. So I, right. I'm many times on a flight from Urumqi to Kashgar or Tashkorgan uh, area. But okay. uh, this... This uh, area is actually an autonomous region that most people don't know. I think when most people think of China, they think of one group of people, right? They think of the Han Chinese, but this area is not Han Chinese. No. Uh, traditionally, this area is not Han Chinese, no. <clears throat> so can you tell us a little bit about that area? Because our listeners, some of our listeners may not be familiar with that region of China. Well, <clears throat> this area, a Chinese called the Xinjiang. Xinjiang, it means new territory. And along with the name suggests, this land is a newly acquired land by, the, by China. But actually, it wasn't um, occupied by China. It was occupied by the Qing Dynasty. And then, uh, during Qing Dynasty, the China itself was under occupation by the Manchurians. So it was Manchurians who uh, defeated this um, uh, Zhongar Mongols 
and uh, uh, took this place and named it New Territory. Then in, in 1911, when this uh, Chinese nationalist uh, overturned the Qing Dynasty, and they inherited this land as their own. And then in 1949, when the Communist Party uh, took power in China, and uh, <clears throat> they, they sent troops and uh, stationed in Xinjiang, then uh, we have become the second citizen, a second class citizen to the uh, Communist Party. And uh, the majority of our people in this land is called Uyghur. And, uh, and of course, there are the 13, uh, 12 minorities, man, uh, ethnic groups, including Russians, uh, Mongols, and the Manjus, and Uzbek, Kazakh, etc. Um, this land is, uh, uh, geographically, it belongs to Central Asia. And... Uh, uh, we share uh, same same culture, same tradition, same language with Central Asian people, and uh, there's uh, quite distance away from Chinese culture, Han Chinese culture. Yeah, so, most people don't realize yeah. that this area of Xinjiang, the Uyghur group that you're talking about, they have a different history, a different culture, a different language. Um, they're uh, in in almost every way they're completely different than the Han Chinese. That's correct. If you go to the Xinjiang Kashka, you don't think you are, uh, if you don't look around about the sign, then you don't think you are in China. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. You don't. And you have great food. One of my favorite things about being in Kashgar is that early in the morning, if you wake up, you can see the bikes with the, with the naan bread that is just amazing <laughs> in that area. And uh, right. the, the fragrant rice in the afternoon with the uh, chunks of lamb and then uh, with the yogurt sauce. I just absolutely love the food there. Um, yeah, I'm sure now you are living in London. I'm sure you probably miss the food from that region. Uh, just right now, when you talk about food, as my mouth is already <laughs> watered. <laughs> so yeah. I I saw a a testimony that you did, and you shared a story from um, your background. Uh, yeah. When you actually were personally involved in a situation that you believe to be a part of China's uh, organ harvesting. Uh, can you tell us a little bit? Because, I mean, our audience is not that familiar with I, I just really dug in, started studying very recently. So even yeah. though I've lived in China for 20 years, I've been completely unaware. I mean, I know some things about organ harvesting, but I didn't know that it was such a large uh, industry in China. Well, uh, uh, there's uh, things I had to make it clear that uh, the first is that I wasn't part of the organ harvesting. Um, what happened was I was the one on that day, I was free, so I was uh, picked up and went to a execution ground, and uh, I performed a, a removal of a liver and the two kidneys, 
And that is only one of case. Okay, so you let me just make sure that I understand here. So you're a surgeon and you were working at the hospital. Yes. And uh, and one day, this is I'm assuming this is the time that I saw your story, which I think if if the story was correct, it was in August of 1995. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And then um, um, and and you were picked up and taken to a detention facility where they carry No, no, out- no, 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 no. Okay, let me uh, give you a short uh, story. Please, that, that would be a, wonderful. Yeah, that was a Wednesday because my uh, scheduled surgery days are Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And that was, I'm pretty sure it was Wednesday because it was in the middle of the, the busy time. But... Uh, what happened is, I have done all this uh, surgery um, in in the you know uh, I am in charge of. So on that Wednesday I was free. So and all the rest of uh, surgeons in my department they were busy, and, but I was the one only the one free. So my chief surgeon. Of course, they knew that. So my chief surgeon called me into the, uh, the office one day before. It was Tuesday afternoon. And then they said, um, uh, do you want to do something wild? And they said, of course, because I was a young surgeon. You see? And then they said, okay, you, you assemble a team and then take this um, operation of uh, equipment and uh, take our van, our uh, hospital's van, and uh, take nurses and your assistants, a team which capable of largest operation. So I did. And then said, waiting for me next, tomorrow morning, 9.30 at the hospital gate. So I did. I was so excited. Then next day, they appeared in the car and they said, follow us. So there were two chief surgeons. So we jumped into our van. That is uh, our hospital ambulance. And the reason I call it a van, because it is a van. Apart from there's a bed inside, there's nothing in it. It's not like the ambulance you see in the West. No, no, that's a totally different. So we jumped in and then we followed the car and then we, we come to the Western Mountain Execution Ground. That place was officially designated to execute people uh, from Urumqi. That's Urumqi government's uh, officially designated execution ground. So when we arrived there, and then uh, our two chief surgeon uh, was waiting for us behind the hill, because they're small car, they run faster. Our one is run small, they're slow. And then when we arrived, they said, "You wait here. Come around when you hear the gunshots." And then we walked. I was particularly, I was quite scared. I said, what am I going to do here? 
it's, it's a way to kill people. And we are doctors. We, we are going to save save people. There's, you know, hundreds of thousands of different thoughts has come to my mind. And then, uh, quite a long time later, and we heard gunshots, and we rushed in. And then they said there was a police that go to the far right. So we went to the far right. There was the one man, a body, lying on the ground. And the difference is with this body and with other executed body was this body was with uh, civilian clothes, all others with, uh, you know, prisoners' clothes. So our two chief surgeons said, put this body into your one and uh, remove liver and kidney. Then I understood why I'm here. So I did. Then my chief surgeon said, okay, now you took your team, you take your team, go back to the hospital, and please remember that nothing happened today. I lived a long time in the, under the communist region. I know what that means. Since, since that day on, none of us has ever talked about it until I saw the publications and books uh, in the, when I arrived in the United Kingdom. Then... Uh, when Ethan Gutman was uh, presenting a book about organ harvesting and uh, in the UK Parliament, and he said he uh, concluded it by saying it's extremely difficult to find first-hand evidence. Then I raised my hand and I said, "Look, I have done one," and that is how I got involved with this campaigning. And then. Until then, I only to realize the scale of this organ transplantation. Before I, I didn't, I didn't even know that. I I just thought this as random, just like cases. Yeah. So and this, this uh, Western Mountain Execution Ground, um, you said that yeah. everybody there that was executed, I presume, they were wearing prisoner clothing. Yeah. But the one that uh, was brought to you, this one, was in civilian clothing? Yeah, civilian clothing, yes. And did uh, could you walk us through what happened when you were doing the operation? Because in your story that I heard before, I, I thought that that was e extremely reveal revealing. Well, of course, because I was a young surgeon and I was so excited. And uh, you see, my mindset wasn't like now. My mindset was the mindset um, uh, common in the under the, the, the brainwashed by the you know by the state. So <clears throat> I thought, if anyone was uh, executed, then this person must be a, a bad guy. A bad guy is subject to every punishment or everything is available to them. So I was so excitedly and then I started doing the operation. <clears throat> when I tried to, to cut through, the body uh, tried to resist 
and that and when I cut through and there was bleeding, that indicates he wasn't dead. He was shot to the right chest, so he was knocked out, but not dead. And uh, his heart was still pumping blood. But for me, it, at that time, it meant nothing because my 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 objective is just cut through and uh, take the liver out and the two kidneys out and uh, give it to chief surgeon. You see? Yeah. That I... we, we don't feel... We didn't even have any emotion. Just like a robot uh, carry on the work which is uh, programmed to do. Yeah. Yeah. So you, as, as you were removing the organs, you are, are, are do you think that the, uh, the body was, or the person was shot uh, on, in an area that was not as deadly? Do you think that that was on purpose or by accident? Oh, no, that is on purpose. So you think that the person was shot in a way that they could stay alive and long enough to keep the organs vital for a longer period of time? I think just just people uh, after many many experiments that is the the experience. So they know uh, if you shoot to the right chest, this person the body will die, but will not die immediately. Wow. Yeah. What, what can later after you left China and you started to realize what organ harvesting really meant? Um, what what did you start to learn and what did you understand about what's taking place today in China in 2020? Uh, yes. uh, unfortunately, we don't have direct evidence of everything. Um, but uh, there are so many smoking guns, one of which is very, very obvious. Not only one, there are so many. Let me give you two examples. One is, uh, uh, you said you've been to Kashgar. Many times. Yeah. In Kashgar airport, there was uh, somebody took picture at the ground, at the floor. There's a sign. It says uh, human organs uh, transportation pathway. So that indicates anyone with this special mission with human organs, you can pass through security check very quick. And there's a specially designed path for that. This is so creepy when I first saw this because it means Wherever you see this sign, it means this place is exporting human organs. And uh, Kashgar, exporting human organs, how? Do they have um, very advanced uh, technology they can produce human organs in the laboratory? No. So where do human organs 
to come from, so from human beings. Then Kashka is in Xinjiang, and Xinjiang total population is 25 million. It is a sparsely populated area. How can you massively produce human organs? That is the question Chinese government. It is one. Second is that even today you log into that China National Voluntary Organ Donation Registry website. <clears throat> log into that. And the last time I logged in, it was last week. Uh, last week I saw this the registered voluntarily uh, organ donor number is 2 million, slightly over 2 million. Let us compare this United Kingdom with China. United Kingdom is literally, it's 100% because you have to opt out if you don't want to don donate your organ. You have to opt out now. Otherwise, every single uh, UK citizen will be considered as potential donor. So that is 100% of the, the population. But in China, 2 million against this uh, 140 million, uh, no, 1 billion, 400 million population is 0.0014%. It is the lowest registration, voluntary registration on Earth. And again, China has the largest number of organ transplantation carried out on Earth. How? How? Because these things, they don't add it up. The question is, where did you get this organ? Can you tell me where? And the Chinese government said before, they, they got this organ from executed prisoner. But executed prisoner, it is you execute 10,000 a year. But you carry out 100,000 transplantation. How? So, such, you know, such um, questions with no answers, it's too many questions that's no answers. And the Chinese surgeons, due to the sheer number of the uh, transplantation they did, now they even forgot uh, to hide the, the, uh, the crime, the scene. For example, in 2006, there was a group of surgeons in uh, Kunming City published a medical paper to the, the, on the, a medical journal. On that paper, it says the donor brought into the room and the general anesthetic applied. This gives you a hint that this donor is alive. Otherwise, they don't need the general anesthetic. So they apply the general, general anesthetic. Look, if this is a case of uh, kidney transplantation, then I have no objection. But this medical paper is talking about two cases of combined heart and lungs transplantation. That 
when I saw that, you see, my whole body was like electrified. Wow. How? You see, they told you this donor is alive, and then they also tell you they took this this donor's heart and lung and gave it to somebody else. And she didn't tell you what she did. She didn't tell you is what happened to this donor. She didn't tell you. Wow. And we know we only have human beings only have one set of heart and lungs. You see, they even forget to hide this. Yes, yeah, so you are a, saying that the, that patients or those where the organ donors um, are. A given general aesthetic, or they're giving an an they're 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 given uh, anesthetic, so they won't feel the the pain, and they wouldn't need that if they were already dead. Uh, it's not only they don't feel the pain because if you don't give anesthetic, you cannot cut through this per, uh, person's body. No, there's no way you can do that. No. Okay. Yes. So. You have to use this to knock this donor out. Yeah. Then you can take this uh, organ. And there's another one is in Hunan province in 2008. The Hunan People's Hospital has put an advertisement and giving away 20 organs for free. Can you imagine you have free organs to give away? What happens? How how you achieved this? How you can have such unlimited supply of organs? This is the Communist Party has to answer this question. Uh, let me ask you, uh, Doctor yeah. Ever. Um, do you still have family in Xinjiang? Yeah. Um, have you been following, I'm sure you have, but I would like to ask you kind of your thoughts because right now one of the things that we have seen a lot in Xinjiang is the re-education camps where yeah. uh, Uyghurs are taken and basically put into a type of prison and re-educated um, and we don't know how many go in, we don't know how many go out. Uh, yeah. From those from those camps, so the esti the the estimates can range anywhere from uh, several hundred thousand to more than a million current prisoners inside of these um, these camps. Uh, do you have any idea whether there are these camps are in any way linked to organ harvesting? Again, I don't have a direct evidence. But what happened is, uh, uh, <clears throat> when this, your relatives taken to the camp, that's literally, you will never see them again. And then you even don't know if they died and where they died and where is their body. You, you don't know. And you are not allowed to ask. So what happens since they build up the camps? They only eased this organ transplantation. They only benefit this organ transplantation because it becomes much, much more easier for them. Of course, uh, if you want me to talk, I can talk in hours because I have interviewed a few people. 
Yeah, no, said, I, the great thing about being having a podcast doctor is that I'm on your time, so I we can end whenever you like. But I the reason why I love you to be on here. So when yeah. you when you have other obligations or you are done, please feel free. We can wrap this up. But honestly, I really love learning from you and um, uh, in searching for more information about what's happening. I realized that this is something that we need to share with our audience. We don't have a big audience, but we get about 10,000 downloads per month, which is not a large number, but it is one for a Christian podcast like ours. And I work directly with the Christian church in China, and they have been persecuted for many years. So many of the things that you're telling me, I've already experienced myself. So I've even me, I've been detained. Nothing big, but I've been detained. And uh, but I've worked with Christians for twenty years that have been, you know, arrested, thrown in prison, beaten. Wow. Some of them have been released. Some of them you have see, not. So uh, I, I am Christian too. Oh, this is a, that is not a common thing for Xinjiang province. No. <laughs> So how are are you are you a Uyghur or are uh, I am Uyghur yes you are okay and mm-hmm. if you don't mind my asking how did you become a, a believer how did you become a Christian well this is well just another long story um, I had this uh, this idea when I was child that who am I is there God. Uh, this is my head, this is my body, who am I? I had this question. So I was constantly searching for this. And then in 1994, in the uh, uh, Chinese uh, eastern coast city, Guangzhou, I was having a training, and uh, I had two patients, late stage of cancer, come to die. But they stayed in the same bed, with two months apart. And uh, when I prescribed them a painkiller, because it is very painful, they rejected. So that, I said, how they cope with pain? So I was spying on them. Then <laughs> I saw them, they were praying. So I, I worked in that moment, I had electric, what you call electric shock or electrified yeah. my body. Yeah. Then I realized that is the power of the Lord. Wow. So that is actually the, the moment I started following Jesus Christ. Wow. But uh, since I was a public figure when I come out, I didn't uh, openly uh, reveal saying that I'm Christian because many Uyghur people, they feel they are uh, abandoned by me. See, they have such uh, feeling. Understand. Yeah. So, I only on, um, uh, on a baptized in, uh, in 2017, and I broadcast um, my friend. I broadcast through his Facebook. So, whole world now, everybody know I'm a Christian, and that was the. Simple uh, story, and uh, you know, uh, in nine eight eight and the nine centuries, uh, we had a very powerful Uyghur kingdom, and this Uyghur kingdom was the uh, 
they were Nestorian Christians. Yeah, that I have, um, I have written a, a, a book and done studies on the Nestorians as they traveled through Xinjiang and all the way yeah. to Xi'an and the ministry yeah. that they had in Xi'an and the the earliest church actually is in China is still in uh, Xi'an that was is one thousand six hundred years or one thousand four hundred years old. Uh, yeah, and it's. Um, and there have been caves in Xinjiang where you can find uh, yes. early Nestorian paintings of yes, exactly, uh, yeah. Jesus. And it's been really fascinating because one of the things that they found, this is a different story, of course, but I found it yeah. fascinating that what in the images that they found from the Nestorian Christians in the caves in Xinjiang are the only photos that they have or the only paintings. Uh, that they yeah. have that showed Jesus sitting in a way where he has three fingers pointed up to heaven in meditation. And that comes earlier than mm. any Buddhist uh, painting or image of the meditation pose with the three fingers and the three fingers wow. indicating yeah. Trinity and pointing towards mm. the sky. Um, so I, I am a little familiar with the early Christians that went into Xinjiang and preached the gospel along the ancient Silk Road, which is yeah. why I have been in Xinjiang is because I have been working on the Silk Road, ministering along the way together with believers. And, wow. um, and one of the things that's very interesting, what I really love is that in uh, as you know, in communism, which is the the enforced atheism, yeah. one of the things that we see is a division that is very strong among the minority groups. So when I travel with my Chinese friends, Han Chinese, mm. in especially Tibet, um, the mm. Tibetans can be very uh, aggressive towards the Han Chinese because of the animosity between the two groups. Yeah. But when you bring in believers, I those that I that uh, love Jesus Christ, they come into the Uyghur area. They learn mm -hmm. the language. They adopt the people, and they, they many of them are very humble. Will humble themselves before uh, the the Uyghur people, uh, asking yeah. for forgiveness and uh, requesting for there to be friendship and 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 relationship between the two. Yeah. So it's uh it's it's a beautiful thing to see. Um it I, is. I, I want to ask you really quick, um were you ever asked to do an operation like that again, like the one you did in nineteen ninety five, or was that the only one? That's all that's all the only one. That was the only one. Okay. Yeah. And for yeah. our listeners that are listening to this podcast right now, um, do you have and I, I mean, of course, now you're an advocate. Now you are standing up and, and becoming a voice uh, for the voiceless and sharing about something that most of the world is just not aware of. And also, to be honest with you, doctor, I think that most of the world is too scared to say anything because China has so much influence now um, with right, the, yeah. the number of companies that they own. I mean, you're in London. The taxi cab company is now owned by the uh, China. 
Uh, yeah. the, uh, I'm in Sweden. Volvo, which is the main car company here, is now owned by China. Uh, if, yeah. You know, in America, you have, you know, AMC Theaters, you have General Electric. GE is one of the largest companies in the world, an American company, now owned by China. It was just mm -hmm. revealed this week that, you know, millions of dollars have been spent on Washington Post and New York Times uh, for them to print stories positive about yeah. China. Um, and uh, with Oxford, with uh, Harvard, with Princeton, also receiving a lot of money from China. Many voices are just not wanting to say anything that will make China upset because that would stop the funding. Um, so I really, really appreciate you coming on uh, with your advocacy and with your voice and bravery yeah. where you have stood up and, and shared for the voiceless. Uh, what do you have any idea about how many um, transplants take place in China per year and what percentage of them would be? I know that you can't give any firm answers, but just to kind of give us an idea, what kind of percentage are we talking about with the transplants taking place with organs that have been possibly harvested from prisoners? Uh, this is quite hard to to answer. Really, really hard to to answer. Understand? Yeah, uh, because uh, since this Chinese uh, communist government, they are so confident with with this. They just even started confidently just. Um, uh, arresting these people and give them a label, say you are terrorists, then you disappeared. So this campaign against extremism, uh, anti-terrorist campaign, it give it is like a green license for them to harvest in the uh, organs. Let me tell you what happened once. I was in in Taiwan, in Taipei City. I, I gave a talk uh, in uh, October 2016. And uh, after my talk, one Taiwanese guy approached me uh, while we were having a rest and having coffee. He told me a story about his brother. His brother, two years ago, so then that will be uh, 2014, went to Tianjin and they had uh, his um, had a new kidney, and his brother, because his brother knew what happened, what is happening to the Falun Gong people, so his brother asked the, the surgeon that say, "I don't want this organ from the Falun Gong people." You see, guess what happened? To this surgeon, this surgeon said, this surgeon assured him by saying, don't worry, now all organs are come from Xinjiang. Okay. That is, you see, that is 2016, and that is one man told me in Taipei. And yeah. he said, now all organs are come from Xinjiang. Yeah. And, and what is just weird thing is, uh, the the largest uh, transplantation center in China is Tianjin, in Tianjin. Uh, this transplantation center in 2009 
has changed its name into a Arabic name called Umar Center, targeting Arabs. Wow. And uh, that is uh, where this new terminology called halal organs come from. What does that mean, halal organs? Do you know halal food? I do, yes. It is a similar concept. Halal organ, it means whoever uh, donated this organ has not eaten pork, has not drunk uh, alcohol, and believed in Allah. Wow, okay. That is called halal organ. Okay. If you use, go to Google Map, if you use Wayback Machine, and find this uh, transplantation center in Tianjin, the largest one, and use that, use a VBAC machine to see 2009. You still can see the website 2009 and uh, how they're targeting Arabs. And there's really only one area where you would get such a donor, and that would be basically from Qinghai on westward. Yes. It has to be Muslims. It has to be Muslims. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the the largest Muslim province in China is Xinjiang. That's correct. Wow. That is, we will, we will be sharing this with our audience. We will be asking them to pray and we will also be praying for you as well, Dr. Enver. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us. It was a real pleasure to talk with you. I pray that we can do it again sometime. Yes, let's pray in, in Lord Jesus' name that uh, let it all just victims who have been taken the uh, organs rest in peace. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. 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 Thank you, doctor. Appreciate it. Have Thank a good you. day. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was an interview that was extremely revealing for me. This was the first time, you know, and while there, let, let me, let me just reveal something really quick before I, I bring this podcast to an end. You may not know this as an audience, but I often reach out. What I try to do is I try to reach out to at least one or two new guests per week to join the podcast. And there are times where I reach out to individuals that I, I know they're kind of out of our pay grade. I know that they are, that I'm really reaching to get them on. There are individuals that I would like to join us. I've invited to join us, but I just don't hear from them. Those that do re, that respond back, I'm very thankful. Now, I was looking for information on Dr. Enver, but he doesn't have information about him. So I went on to Facebook and I looked him up and that's where I found him. I sent him a private message and he was such a kind guy to respond right back. And I really feel that this was, one, I didn't know he was a Christian. I honestly thought that he was Muslim because one of the videos that I saw him speaking at was an Islamic um, awareness day or something like that. It wasn't exactly an Islamic awareness day, but it was some sort of, of gathering for Xinjiang Uyghurs that was for Muslims. 
And so when I saw Dr. Enver there, I just assumed because he is Wigger, I assumed that he was Wigger because of the way he looks. Um, I, 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 because he's Wigger, I assumed that he was a Muslim. And so uh, when, I, when I asked him to join us, I did say that we are a Christian organization, just so that he was clear on that. But I didn't want him to feel in any way threatened, even as a Muslim or a Buddhist or an atheist, whatever. He is more than welcome to come on to our Back to Jerusalem podcast. I just wanted to dig for the information that I felt that he had firsthand information on. And that he has done the, this, this surgery that was used for organ harvesting. And he, he pointed out, now I don't know if you were able to understand everything that he said. I know that sometimes his accent for me is very clear because he, even though he's Uyghur, he speaks with a Chinese accent. So his, his Chinese is probably as good as any other Chinese person uh, because he, even his English has a Chinese accent. But when he started to uh, speak, I know that there are some people that may not completely understand that what he was saying. So I thought that he was at the hospital, he was free and open, and then some people came and got him and took him to a, a um, detention facility where they execute individuals. And what he said was, no, it was actually agreed upon on a Wednesday that he would leave out Thursday morning and then go to a place that was called Western uh, Execute or Western Mountain Execution Ground. <coughs> Excuse me. So this is a mountain where they basically just mow you down. He heard shots uh, while he was there, people being shot and killed, just lined them up. But there was one individual that he said was not in prisoner clothing. And he was in civilian clothing. He was shot, not through the heart, but through the other side of the chest where he wouldn't die right away. So he was executed in a way that were, or sorry, he, he was shot in a way where he would not be immediately executed. And they loaded him up in their van, which acts as a an ambulance. He's absolutely right. Even most places that you go to in China, their ambulance is basically a white vehicle with a red cross or you know a red symbol of some sort, but nothing inside except for the ability to transport bodies. So you don't have a drip. You don't have a, a, any monitors. You don't have any equipment in there to save people's lives. It's it's basically a pickup truck to carry warm flesh. And so they put the individual that had been shot in civilian clothing into that vehicle where he was taken to an operation theater where the doctor and his team, Dr. Enver and his team that he had brought and handpicked and selected, and he was removing the liver and the kidney. And the man that he removed the organs from was not dead. I want you to think about that for a minute. He said that they use anesthesia so that you will be able to remove the organs. Otherwise, you can't. Why can't you? Because you need to have steady hands and it's pretty hard to have steady hands when the person you're cutting into is flopping like a fish. That means that organs are being taken out of live bodies. From just the information that I saw on the internet, this is a well over a billion dollar industry. And it's pure cash. 
pure cash. Because you're not paying the organ donor. And there's no monitoring. Right now, if you go on, try to do a search. Do if, if you got your phone with you, try to do a search and try to look at what the 2020 numbers are for um, executions in China. You won't find it. If, if you look at executions inside of China per year, what you find is a, a number that basically says that, um, yeah, we can't tell you. We don't know. We don't know how many people are executed inside of China every year. One of the things that, um, one of the things that, let me see if I can pull this up. I don't know if I have um, <clears throat> any of the articles on my laptop right now. But when I was looking it up, I was trying to figure out how many executions take place in China per year. And I just, when I found the number or when I found a page, it basically said, we don't know. Let me read to you from NBC News. So this is from NBCnews.com. There's a group, an international tribunal that was held in London where Dr. Enver is, and they gave out some interesting numbers. So, so that it's not taken out of context, I'm going to read it directly. Again, this is NBCnews.com. This was published on June 18th, 2019. It says, the organs of members of marginalized groups detained in Chinese prison camps are being forcefully harvested, sometimes when patients are still alive, an international tribunal sitting in London has concluded. Some of more than 1.5 million detainees in Chinese prison camps are being killed for their organs to serve a booming transplant trade that is worth some $1 billion a year concluded the Chinese tribunal, an independent body tasked with investigating organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience in the authoritarian state. Forced organ harvesting has been committed for years throughout China on a significant scale, the tribunal concluded. They have a new release that was supposed to be out in March of 2020, but I was not able to find that. This was the judgment, the paper, the 60-page report that they came out with in June of last year. So this is a something new that I have not really honestly been exposed to, but I promise to do more research and bring it to you as our listener because this is something that I think that Christians need to be aware of. Even though Christians are not the main target, the main target is the Falun Gong and the Muslims. But our prayers are with them because they have been made by God. We thank you so much for downloading this podcast. My hope is that this podcast has been as much of a blessing to you as it has been to me. May this podcast be something that you share with your friends. May this story and information from Dr. Enver be shared with others. Thank you so much for joining us again. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless. <laughs>